This is the Conduit Church Teaching Podcast. Thanks for joining us. It's our mission to be a conduit of Jesus to the community in front of us and the world around us, starting with the teaching of His Word. Enjoy the message. Would you open your Bibles to the book of Revelation chapter 7? After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth to prevent any wind from blowing on the land or on the sea or on any tree. Then I saw another angel coming up from the east, having the seal of the living God. He called out in a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm the land and the sea. Do not harm the land or the sea or the trees until we put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of our God. Then I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 from all the tribes of Israel. From the tribe of Judah, 12,000 were sealed. From the tribe of Reuben, 12,000. From the tribe of Gad, 12,000. From the tribe of Asher, 12,000. From the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000. From the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000. From the tribe of Simeon, 12,000. From the tribe of Levi, 12,000. From the tribe of Issachar, 12,000. And from the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000. From the tribe of Joseph, 12,000. And from the tribe of Benjamin, 12,000. After this, I looked. And there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders asked me, These in white robes, who are they and where did they come from? I answered, Sir, you know. And he said, These are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. That's such an amazing promise. Uh, Especially in a season like this in the world. That promise is one that I've been holding on to pretty tightly right now. And I know some of you, long before Corona, had your own things that you're holding on to. It's a part of our journey here on earth. Uh, Marcus Aurelius, who was the last of the emperors, the Pan-Romana Empire, was the last before things, the wheels started to come off. Aurelius said that uh, the object of life is not to be on the side of the majority, but to escape finding oneself in the ranks of the insane. He wrote that like 2,000 years ago. (laughs) Because there's nothing new under the sun. And when you look into this study, like when you go through the entire book of Revelation, 
If revelation is what Jesus said it would be, it's revealing who Jesus is, who really is, then that's, the, that's real, that's sanity, right? And so revelation, there are those who would choose the side of the majority, uh, the, the side of the in, insane, but even in today's world, we have to decide it, what is sane. And if Jesus, again, pulling back the curtain of what's really happening in this world, uh, like I don't know if there's a Q or an Anon or a, I don't even know how to say that, uh, but I know that behind the curtain, there is a Jesus on a throne, completely in control, not hiding underneath of it, not cowering behind it, but sitting on it. And there's an enormous amount of hope in that. This promise of Revelation 7 is that, which I, by the way, I absolutely love Revelation 7. Because out of chapter 6 that we just came out of, like it's kind of hard, right? But then it's like there's this interlude of mercy that pops up in the middle of it. Like, okay, I can catch my breath now. An interlude of, of mercy, again, of what's really going on. All this stuff that seems so awful, there's still Jesus moving proactively on the earth. This interlude of, of mercy here in chapter 7. And look, Revelation is not a hard book to understand. Okay? It, it's an easy book to overcomplicate. It's an easy book to overthink. But if you take this book and pull it back and say, if I were a first century Christian, what would I think when I read this? Right? They did not have seminary. You understand, John did not go to seminary. Right? Nothing wrong with seminary. But sometimes when you start to overthink and overcomplicate, if you're a first century Jew, you're going to see this. And what you would see it is the same thing that we taught. By the way, not a bandwagon revelation guy. I taught this in Nepal back in uh, October now. And when I taught it in October, I learned something really quickly that if you are being oppressed by a government, if you are being imprisoned and you are being assaulted and you are ha your rights are stripped away, in Nepal right now, they are sandwiched in between Chinese communism and India's version of make India great again has been the rise of Hinduism. They're literally being sandwiched in between the two rights. In fact, when I went to teach it from the moment we booked this event to the time we showed up for it, it had become illegal in Nepal. When you read, and I ask him, like, what do you want to teach? I was thinking, let's do the Philippians. Let's count it all joy. That's not what they wanted. They wanted revelation because they wanted to know, was there hope for them? And I would say this, if you are studying this book and you are doing anything other than what Jesus said to do, the temptation and the proclivity when you go through a book like Revelation is to, you're going to bury weapons, right? You're, you're, maybe you don't, whatever. But you're going to buy bunkers. And by the way, none of that's going to work anyway. But I would suggest that if, if, if teaching this, studying this, doesn't do to you what it did to Jesus and his disciples, I'm doing it wrong. Because in Matthew 24, he spoke of this as this great tribulation period that was coming, Right? And then he tells the disciples at the end of chapter 25, verses 31 through 40, whatever, 41, is that passage where he talks about feeding those who are hungry, giving water to those who are thirsty, visiting those who are in prison. Like, that's what this should be motivating us to do. 
Jesus basically said two things. Don't be deceived. So we need to be very clear as to what God's word says. And if Jesus said it, did he mean it? Right? When a guy comes to earth, dies, right? He, he predicts, hey, I'm going to die. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to be buried. I'm going to be resurrected on the third day, just as the scriptures foretold. And then he does it. We might want to listen to him. I, mean, I don't want to overthink that, but we should listen to him. And he said in Matthew 24, this was coming for us. And then he tells his disciples, feed, clothe, uh, visit. And, and just so you know, as a part of Conduit Church family, uh, you are already doing that. Just yesterday, these four families are on Southeast Asia. Oh, I'm sorry. Zach, was I supposed to give you a heads up on that? Sorry. We can't show these pictures on uh, the screen. This is in Southeast Asia. These four families were all living in the same brick kiln in slavery. And you can't really see the numbers, but uh, $923 for the Nadim family, uh, the Dawood family, 852 816 for the Asif family, and Arshad owed $804 in debt. And if you're new here, you may not know what we're doing over here, but these are families that are, uh, there's 4.5 million of these living in slavery in Southeast Asia, almost other country, right now. Uh, and if we could just pay their debt, they're free. It's, it's remarkable. These are Christian families being persecuted by their Muslim brick kiln owners, persecuted, abused. And we figured out for a few hundred dollars extra that we could provide them with a home to, by the way, most of them have homes. I should say that most of them already had a home. It'd be like you had a payday loan, but they didn't come get your bass boat. They come and get you. And if they, me, I die, then they come and get my son. So they've already got me and my children. I die, they'll come. Even if my son is grown, they'll come and get them, bring them back until, and they, they literally will never get these debts paid. They're paid a dollar a day. Uh, if your debt is $800, they're tacking on all these interests and fees and penalties. Long story short, we sent money uh, last week, and as of yesterday, this is the first time we've done four at once. This was risky because the, the kiln owners get the idea that we're snooping around and they might you know, start turning it into eBay for slaves and we're not interested in that. But look what we did yesterday. All four of those families went free. We paid all four of their debts and they're... Um, and just so you can see, like, uh, those are the smiles of the redeemed. Those children were making bricks right by their parents with no hope of education, no hope of anything. And so they woke up today in their homes with a pastor that helped them. We were working with local pastors there. They're the ones putting all this together. They woke up free this morning for the first time in a decade. That's pretty cool. That's Matthew 25. That's if Jesus is returning, what can we do? This is what we do. We don't go bury weapons and build bunkers. The gates of hell shall not prevail. That is not defensive language. That's offense language. We're not sitting around and waiting for Satan to kick our door down. We're going to him and kicking his door down. And at the same time, we were able to do that. Those pastors that I told you about in uh, Nepal, uh, there's probably 25 to 30 that I knew of, and there's apparently 40 or 50. And by the way, a pastor in, in uh, that part of the world, it's not a career move, you understand, right? Like, it's not like they chose this. I'm, I'm not a mathematician, but what is 10% of zero? Quickly, anyone? Zero? Oh, zero. So they, they, this is not a career move for them. And in Nepal, with the floods that have been happening, 
with the lockdowns because what they've done in these countries is they're copying our Western ideas of lockdowns. They're locking down these countries with no health care, and they're literally starving to death in their homes. You walk out of your home and you get arrested and they'll arrest you with like a six foot long stick with a rope around it. And then of course, cram you into a jail cell with 400 people with no sense of irony. But the point is, they're trying to copy what they're seeing here and it's causing enormous amounts of starvation and malnutrition. And so uh, we've been feeding families, if you've been around here, we've been feeding families in, uh, in, uh, in Nepal for the last three months now. But we, yesterday, uh, this past week actually, we sent money over for the pastors and their wives. And so this week, uh, we actually got on the news, by the way. Uh, I don't know what that means, like if it's like WKRN or what, but anyway, but they, they, I couldn't understand anything they were saying except for conduit team, conduit team. Um, and by the way, I asked them, could they, could we, I don't, I don't care about conduit, they don't care about that, could we get the name of Jesus on there? But our pastor was like, yeah, we could, but then we're all going to get arrested, so... Um, so that's why, uh, that, that's why you see that banner with conduit team and it's allowed us to love and to feed. And I might add for those visiting, you might not know this part, but I, we were in, uh, Nepal in October and these communist officials came in and this was the part where I'm like, well, this is where we get arrested. Um, cause they were not pleased. I don't know. Maybe they were. The thing about communists is you know, happy and sad both look the same to me. So I don't, I can't tell, you know, so Long story short, uh, they were there to tell us that our activities were illegal and forbidden. But then they looked at me and said, but I remember that you helped us last year when the floods came to our city. And because of that, we're going to let this meeting continue. And if anybody gives you any trouble, here's my business card. And here's, uh, I can't remember his name, but here's the chief of police. He gives me a business card. And uh, so they left and I opened up the Bible to Revelation chapter one and we just went through the book of Revelation. I'm like, well, that's how that went. But the point is, what is 1 Peter 2, uh, 3, 4, and 5? He talks about, you can silence the talk of foolish men with your good works. Not with my well-crafted arguments, not with my well-thought-out tweets, not with my pithy Facebook posts, but with your love. It's just a promise, and it's still true today. That's what this book ought to do for us, to speak that there is a hope, that there's something going on behind the scenes, and that Jesus is in the middle of all of it. And in this chapter that we are in, if you didn't get a chance to listen to the deeper podcast from Wednesday, we went super deep into this chapter But when I see this in what's happening in this chapter, this interlude of mercy, right? We're in between like blood and billows and boils. And in a minute, we're going to be like designer locusts, you know, coming out of it. But in the middle of all this is this chapter where there are these two groups of people standing before the throne. It's an interlude of mercy. What's happening on the earth. But before any of that's happening, Jesus is saying that I'm going to have you protect these specific people. And with these specific people, there's going to be then another group of people who are going to come out of the tribulation saved. Jesus is not leaving us behind here. I do believe, I continue to believe, you're welcome not to believe this, but I believe that we will as Christians not be here for this moment. We can talk about that at some other point, why. But what I see here is that Jesus is not done with the work that he has on earth. Billions, I would say billions. When he says in a moment, a multitude nobody could count is still on the earth coming into the kingdom. Jesus is aggressive with his grace. 
Like in this moment of what's happening on earth, there's still people coming to Christ. And I'm gonna share with you what is an alliteration that if I were a Baptist, I would have come up with this on my own, but I'm not. And so I had to steal it from another guy. But here's what, when you see this chapter, the way that this chapter breaks down, is it shows us what Jesus is doing in this period of tribulation on the earth. Matthew 24, 21, there's coming a time of great tribulation. And it is what Jesus is doing, the purpose of what he's still doing here on the earth is number one, is he's gonna wake up a nation. The second thing is he is going to shake up the heathen. I know that is a the word that sort of maybe hits wrong with our modern Western sensibilities. So maybe just say unbelievers if that one offends you. But shake up the, the heathen, those who are still on earth who had rejected Christ, a chance to be shaken up and to come to Christ. And then the third thing is to make up the kingdom. It's Chip and Joanna Gaines' demo day for the new kingdom, the new heaven, the new earth, but he will do none of this before he takes up his people. Chapter four and five, the church is in heaven. Chapter four and five comes before chapter six, always has, always will. We won't be here for this. That's what I believe. But these groups and the minutes we have, and there are not many minutes, I want to tell you who I think they are and why it matters. The first group that we see are 144 which I appreciated David Shindell being able to pronounce every one of these tribes of, uh, I guess you, that is probably a seminary thing or that he just practiced a lot. But there are a lot of people, this 144,000 that have jockeyed to be a part of this 144,000. Over, over the years, the Mormon church, they, they want, we're gonna be that. The problem, by the way, the flaw in this strategy is once your church grows to 144,000, then we're like, well, now what do we do? It's kind of hard to recruit anymore. Um, I actually remember when a Jehovah's Witness knocked on my door once and we had a little conversation. I was like, so let me ask you, I'm just gonna shoot you real straight. Uh, what if I get your spot? Like if there's only 144,000, what are you doing here? You should be home. <laughs> she looked at me, she was not concerned at all <laughs> that I was gonna get her spot. There might be somebody, but it wasn't gonna be me. But um, Seventh-day Adventists, that's where they came out of, Jehovah's Witnesses. Um, a more recent uh, cult, so to speak, as the worldwide church of God uh, came out of the hippie movement of the 70s. You might not have heard of it, but you might have heard of a couple of famous people who grew up in that cult, Rose McGowan. Uh, that was what she grew up in. Uh, River and Joaquin Phoenix both grew up in that cult. They're gonna be the 144,000. The, the thing is, is you don't have to guess because he actually tells us. He says, in verse four, these that I heard, the number of those is 144,000 from all the tribes of Israel. You don't have to guess. And I want you to know that they're very smart people, people who smoke pipes and have uh, leather patches on their uh, elbows and tweed jackets and who, who think that this is a metaphor. They would say that God has replaced Israel uh, with the church. That's something that a lot of people believe. But there are a lot of very, very smart people who do not believe that. Uh, they, the theologians and seminarians who say, no, this actually is a very uh, real thing. These are very real Jewish people. Uh, I am not a smart guy on either side of those. I'm not a smart guy in any of those. But if I'm gonna look at where, which makes the most sense where I, is it's, these are Jewish people. 
three quarters of this Bible, if you've got a Bible in your hand or in your phone, is written by, it is dealing with, it is about the Jewish people. It just is. When they say that Jesus was not a white man, that's true. He was a Jewish man. Jewish. All 12 of the disciples were Jewish. God made a promise to a guy named Abraham. Genesis 12, Genesis 13, Genesis 15, Genesis 17. Every one of the promises he made to Abraham were unconditional. Now, if God would break his promise to Abraham, to his friend, Abraham was a friend of God. Then, I mean, one thing Revelation tells us is that he is all powerful, that he is sovereign, right? He is over all. That doesn't mean he's good. Just because you're sovereign doesn't mean you're good. Hitler was very powerful, not a good guy. It would behoove us to know if our God is good or not. Him keeping his promise to Abraham, not based on Abraham's behavior, not based even on the Jewish people's behavior. You can look throughout the Old Testament and God is constantly like, are you kidding me? Haven't we talked about this? He would get angry with him, but he's going to keep his promise to Abraham. And in those promises in Genesis, there's a promise for Abraham personally. There's a promise for his people universally. There's a promise for the land specifically. Those are all promises that were made to this. I believe that this is a true Jewish people that God, it's called the time of Jacob's trouble, Jeremiah 30 verse seven. There's something he's doing with the Jewish people that's important here that has to do with them. And if we don't understand that, we won't understand the rest of what's happening here. I'm gonna say one more thing, and I look, you, you all know me. I mean, I don't have a whole lot of really strong, strong opinions. My wife is watching online going, well, that's not true. Um, I feel very strongly that replacement theology is damnable. Martin Luther, at the end of his life, he wrote so many amazing things, and at the end of his life, if you read the end of his writings, it was purely uh, anti-Semitic, anti-Jewish, and so it was Hitler that used those writings from Martin Luther to justify his. It's just that's the logical conclusion of God being done with the Jewish people. And whether it was the Amalekites, whether it was Martin Luther at the end of his life, or the Germans, they have been, there's never been a group of people that has been more oppressed, that has never been more beaten throughout history, by the way, than this one group of people. And when you think about it, of course, if Satan can stop the promise of God that Jesus would come through the Jewish line, he starts there. If I could destroy that, he destroys the promises of God. And once that didn't work, the promise of a Jesus returning to a real Jerusalem, to a real Israel, to a real kingdom, now if Satan can thwart that, he once again gets Jesus to break his promise. And look, if it's not true for the Jew, it's not true for you. His promises, Romans 10, 9, 11, talks about Israel. It's not an interruption. Have you ever wondered like the Romans road of salvation and right in the middle of it, he drops 9, 10, and 11 about Israel like it's some interlude. It's not. It's part of the gospel. 
that this group of people that Jesus, that God, Jehovah said, I'm gonna keep my promise to them. And because of that, now 11, 12, 13, 14, I can trust that he's gonna keep his promise to me. There's gonna be 144,000 Jewish Billy Grahams sealed, just like you and I are sealed, Ephesians 1, preaching the gospel. And we're, I don't wanna spoil it. We're gonna to get to Revelation 14. How many Jewish people are gonna be standing before the throne? 143,999? Nope, 144,000. He doesn't lose one of them. And again, the promises of God are so good and gracious because we can trust that his promises are good for us. I hope that speaks to you. The second thing, and the second group that we see is this wake up the heathen. Every nation, tribe, and tongue around the world coming out of this tribulation period, the greatest revival in the history of the earth. More people saved in this short period of time than in history. And Look, a lot of well-meaning people have taught Matthew 24 that once you preach this gospel in the ends of the earth and then the end will come, that that means that we have to get out there right now to preach the gospel. And once the last person, last tribe, then Jesus can return. But he didn't say that. He didn't say this gospel must be preached and then I will return. He said, and then the end will come. Two different experiences now, that said, if you've been around us, we ain't screwing around. We are absolutely pouring our lives out to you. I don't know, Amy, is it $5 million yet somewhere in that four? That we have given away from this church for the cause of the gospel on the front lines of the kingdom of God. We are not screwing around here with that. But we are not doing that to try to hasten the return of Jesus. Because you'll see in Revelation 14, again, these People have been preaching the gospel, 144,000. There's gonna be these two witnesses that the whole world is gonna see. And just for fun, there's gonna be an angel flying through the atmosphere preaching the gospel. Maybe with a bullhorn, I don't know. But it says in that in chapter 14, preaching the gospel to every nation, tribe, and tongue. That is when that prophecy will be fulfilled. It's going to happen. And that in this passage right here, in these few verses, is how we can know that he is going to shake up. Because if you've been hearing the gospel, you've been, wow, I'm, I don't know. You're hearing it now from an angel. You're hearing it from these two witnesses, 144,000. You're literally being awakened to the gospel. Not just the Jewish people that God has had a heart for since the moment he made that promise to Abraham. And when he says in Romans 10 that all Israel will be saved, I don't 100% know what that means, but it does sound like it means all Israel will be saved. And now the opportunity is not just for Israel, but for everyone, every nation, tribe, and tongue to come to him. What a huge promise. He's not leaving it alone. It's not just to come here and to, you know, Hulk smash. It's, it's, that's not the tribulation. It is Jesus shaking up the world to bring them to him. He doesn't want anyone to perish. He wants everyone to come to eternal life. But there are those who, like Marcus Aurelius warned, will not find themselves on the side of the sane. 1 Thessalonians, or 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 13. He says, those when the lawless one comes, speaking of Antichrist during this phase, that I will send them, God will send them a delusion because of their wickedness. It's just Romans 1, 24, 5, 6, 7, 8. And then I turned them over, and then I turned them over, 
and then I turn them over. It's the answer to the prayer, my will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That eventually, enough of that, and he, just, he loves you, he doesn't want anybody to come right, to, to be uh, you know, eternal punished, but what he wants is just to come to salvation, but he's not gonna force that on anyone. And when you see in here these passages of those that are raging, those that are raging, not crying out for the rock of ages, but for rocks to fall on me, they, would that be the side of the saint? Probably not. But the side of the saint is that Jesus is here and that he is not, uh, his job isn't done even here. He's coming. And then the last thing here, and the, boy, the time that we have, is that he is going to use this to make up the kingdom. Like, we sang graves into gardens. If I, I cannot think of a better theme of revelation than that. We're gonna end in a garden. Genesis 1 begins in a garden Revelation 22 ends in a garden. He's moving our graves into a garden. That's what this is all about. That at some point, he's got to come in here and do demo day. All the damage, all the people that have said, I, I'm literally, you've given me a million opportunities. And, and you've got to be honest, God's being pretty fair, right? If, if my choice was Shannon, right, or a troll, No trolls here? I'm sorry, I don't want to offend the trolls. I, I, if, if that's the choice, I choose Shannon all day. It's not even a hard choice. It's, the choice is easy. It's Jesus. It's not burdensome. It's, it's, not, it's not even a hard choice. But he still gives us the choice. Heaven is only going to be full of people who want to be there. And I would encourage you, encourage me. This opportunity is for the, the age of grace right now. Why wouldn't you? Why would you wait till then? If the age of grace is right now where you can be sealed, not with the name of Jehovah on your forehead in the tribulation period, but saved with sealed Ephesians 1 with the Holy Spirit, the new wine sealed with Jesus. That's not sealed like a boat that's gonna not leak anymore. It's sealed like owned. It is sealed like paid in full. That's the seal that he's offered to all of us. And I pray that that's what you do with it. Now that said, there's this great tribulation Jesus said was coming. There's a great tribulation that Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. And I, look, if you got a problem with Revelation, I mean, I get that, but that means you got a problem with Jesus. So I'm gonna need you to take it up with him, right? But I mean, all this is is like he's just talking about Matthew 24 and 25. He's just literally just expounding on it. So, but that being said, that's capital T tribulation. In this world right now where we are, we are all in some various form of little t tribulation. We're in a little m mess. And my question to you is where do you go in that? He ends chapter six, verse 17 with a question, who will stand? In chapter 14, I told you that we'll see this 144,000 again and they're going to be standing. And you know what they're gonna be standing and doing? Who would be standing? It says they're gonna be, this is verses one, two, three, four, five. They're gonna be standing before his throne, praising him. They're gonna be standing in front of his throne in purity. And they're gonna be standing in front of his throne preaching the gospel. Who will stand? Those who are praising him. I'm not talking about salvation. Please do not misunderstand me. That's not what I mean. 
I'm talking about in the mess that you're in right now, in the, in the worst mess in the history of the world, the message of Jesus is still there. The message of the gospel is there. And so whatever mess you've got, you think if he couldn't fix some of this mess that he can't fix your mess? And so today, as you're thinking and leaving and wherever your mess is, maybe you will switch your plan from tweeting about it to praising in it. Maybe you switch it from being angry and frustrated about it, right? To just living a little more pure in it. And maybe the chance of you right now and by the way, preaching, I don't mean you gotta go out on the corner. Pre- preaching the gospel is actually better. It's easier than it's ever been. Literally today, you're gonna have an opportunity. Your little Facebook thing's gonna come up, your little tweet, your little whatever, Instagram. I'm talking to myself. You have an opportunity to say something there. Why don't you just tell what Jesus is doing in your life instead of what the devil's doing in the world? Why don't you take a chance to share the stories of our friends in Southeast Asia you know how many people know that there are 4.5 million people living in slavery right now in Southeast Asia? Hardly any. Did you know that? Use your platform to preach the gospel and you will stand in the midst of your tribulation. You will have a message in the middle of your mess. That's a pretty good promise, isn't it? Stand up, I wanna pray for you and get you guys out of here before the parking lot. But thank you for your patience. If you're visiting, by the way, we are trying to build something. Uh, it's kind of working, like we started this week. But it was almost like Satan went to God and said, have you considered my, oh, I'm sorry, he did go to God. He went to the codes department and he said, have you considered my servant, Mo? <laughs> but we've, we've powered through and Mo has not renounced his faith. He has not cursed God. And there are bulldozers moving back there. Well, he's cursed, but just not God. Um, we, we did give him prior written, uh, we have a written form for elder. If you need prior written per- permission for emergency language, we actually have a form you could fill out for that. So he, uh, he's only used his emergency language a few times. But we are building something back there that uh, will be done soon at some point. But I, I just want to say, I'm, I'm th- I just thank you. I know this parking lot's a joke. I know this is all kind of a joke, really, but it's kind of God's sense of humor that he would use something so little to do something so big. And so thank you for your patience and, and putting up with all this, and we're so grateful. So Heavenly Father, oh Lord, for our brothers and sisters who are watching online right now, if they're even still there, uh, we see you. Jesus sees you. And we're so thankful for where you if you're feeling safe there, we're so thankful that you're there. We are not. Uh, we long to see you again, but we understand. And we just pray that the Holy Spirit is even with you in, in your living room. And Lord, for us that are here, could we take away this truth today that in the middle of the greatest tribulation in the history of the earth that you, Lord, were still triumphing on this planet Billions of people coming to a salvation in you. Your promise being kept to a guy named Abraham just because you said it. You kept your promise to him. Wow, I'm just so grateful for that. I am bolstered by that. Thank you for that promise and for keeping it. And as we leave here today, standing, praising, purifying, and preaching, 
who will stand. Who can stand? We can. In Jesus' name, amen.